0: The new AM 740. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions
1: expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests.
2: From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil? The boys are back. Let's talk sports.
3: Good morning and welcome to 7.40 a.m. radio, the Nas and Wally Sports Hour. Uh, we're playing a little shorthand today. No Wally, no Neil. Neil's en route from the cottage. Uh, hopefully he does get here. But I do have Mark Kennedy in studio, uh, the World Cup specialist and Toronto FC specialist here. Mark, good morning. Good
4: morning, Nas. Did you want to talk about the uh, World Cup that has left
3: Absolutely. Us? What a great, well, I thought it was a great game. And a great finish, anyway.
4: I guess I was a little disappointed in um, in how tentative the game was. It seemed as if both teams were um, afraid to lose. There was um, an, uh, Roberto Martinez, who's the manager of Everton. Before the game, I saw him on television, and he said, Argentina fears that if Germany scores an early goal, the game is going to be over. And I thought that was an interesting insight. It seemed to mean that Argentina... Although they did have some scoring opportunities in the first half, in the back of their mind, they they might not have gone for it as much as they as they could have. Um, we were also talking about um, my fondness for Bastian Schweinsteiger. Oh,
3: he came up big. He was really good.
4: He seemed to get every possible um, part of himself injured in that game, from throwing himself around into 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 action, left, right, and center. Um, he was he was cut by Sergio Aguero, and there was there was no yellow card issued it, he almost had a look on his face as if looking at the ref saying okay what's it going to take what kind of injury am i going to have to come up with in order for you to uh to uh, uh come up with a card on this but uh it was it was a great game great game. I, I
3: thought the i thought the first half uh argentina outplayed germany they had the more the better scoring chances anyway and uh They couldn't put one away. They did score one offside, which was very close, but it was offside. The referees made the correct call there.
4: I did find during the World Cup that um, the referees on on the offside, except for one exception I can think of, they did seem to be getting it right an awful lot. The the one exception very early on was um, Mexico's first game, and I'm forgetting which African country they played, but... uh, Cameroon, yes, two offside goals. Yes, yeah. and and both of them were were um, were wrong, and th- that that um, that linesman never 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 saw the field again.
3: Now you've coached soccer, and offside, I find offside is the most difficult play to call. Really, it's uh, it's it's very difficult, and the way they do it, sometimes they don't even have in minor soccer anyway. They don't have uh, linesmen, right, and they can't they can't tell. In a game
4: where there's just a single ref, um, when I coach, there are certain things that um, that you can do that easily tricks the ref, like a, a hesitation step or a, a step to the side to make it look as if you are trying to keep yourself on side, even though you know you're offside, because the 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 angle from the ref is is practically impossible for them to call that.
3: The Argentina team, um, a lot of strikers, good strikers come out of that country, but it seems to me like the midfield is not as strong. is that their we- was that their weakness? Do you think, or is it just that Germany was better than them I think they
4: build their midfield, especially in in a, in a World Cup situation around Messi. Um, Messi is sort of a, a withdrawn forward um, or an attacking midfielder either way that you want to call it. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the situations are, are built around feeding it to him and then letting him pull off his magic. It's not as methodical um, as as the Germans, um, who are always making sure that there are options for, you know, if if you're if you're coaching Messi, you're not always going to be telling the other players to give him options because what he comes up with on his own is so brilliant. Um, I thought it was a bit interesting at the end that Messi was awarded the Golden Ball for being the most valuable player in the tournament and he seemed to be a little bit taken aback by it um he um
3: class player though very classy
4: and and I th- I don't think this was his only opportunity I think that he's got the he I was mentioning to other people the um, um, Andrea Perlo, the uh, Italian midfielder, who's now in my his, favorite
3: player. Love now, that player.
4: Yeah, now in his late thirties and is still an impact player. I could see Messi not being a dominant player in a future World Cup, but becoming that sort of midfield um, general who can who can bring the best out of those around him. He's got he's got those
3: qualities. The Germany team. Uh, seem to have better depth than the Argentina team. They, you were talking about the two guys they brought off the bench.
4: Yes. Last week I had said that uh, Miroslav Klosa was going to be on the bench. That was my another one of my fantastic, spectacular... Um, um, you picked uh, Germany, right? Though. <laughs> I, finally. I, fi- I You know, I, If I have to hear someone look at me and say Brazil, Belgium, and shake their head one more time, it'll be too much. But... I thought that the, the, the young men, uh, Sure and uh, who was the goal scorer? Is it um, Gutze? Gutze? Mario Gutsa who scored yes, the goal? Yes. Um, I thought that those two deserved to be starters. That's why I thought Klose would be on the bench to give the, the, the young guys a chance to start in the final. They did prove their worth. Uh, the two subs were, were, you know, combined to score the goal of, of, of the final.
3: That was a beautiful goal, though, wasn't it, Mark? It was
4: amazing, amazing. Um, um, just sort of one touch and, and turn. It's, it, it's so much about where you are on the field. It isn't just what you do with the ball when you get it, but where have you placed yourself so that it can happen in, in an instant? And, and that's clearly what, what, what they had done for that.
3: Do we have a potential dynasty, in meaning that the, second, the four years from now is Germany in the same position? Because they have a pretty young team
4: the surprise news in the week though was that philip lamb their captain their right back only 30 years old has retired from international football and um it's
3: possible the, he, may, he may he may be able to come to fc now
4: uh, <laughs> sorry mark <laughs> be still my beating heart um the rumored um, frontrunner for the new captaincy is, of course, Bastian Schweinsteiger, but I think he's 29. Um, yeah, he's up there too. Yeah, yeah um, you, with, losing Philip Lamb is, is, is definitely, um, it sort of knocks back the idea that they're in the front seat for the European Championships in two years or the next World Cup. Um, we'll have to see about, but yeah, you're right, you're right now, a, remarkably a, a young team.
3: Now, the U.S., uh, I was listening to some of the reports from the U.S., and they say they've progressed big time in this tournament. I don't think that they progressed that much from last World Cup. Do you? I think they have. I think that they – you have to remember
4: that they were in the group of death, and they for months were told you are not going to – you're not going to survive being in the same group uh, with Germany, Ghana, and and Portugal – and the fact that they did survive the group of death um, and got to the knockout stage, which was the second World Cup now in a row that they've reached the knockout stage. Um, I spent some time in Los Angeles uh, during the World Cup, and the momentum is there. The The ratings for the U.S.-Portugal game uh, were peaking, I think, at around 25 million so there is, there is a following, uh, sort of a groundswell, and I think that that will apply to the team because um, once you have the expectation that you're going to reach the knockout stage and once you've, you know, um, Klinsman, their, their manager, has, has built a young team, um, I think that they're going to be that much better next time. Um, it might not be Bradley and Dempsey that are leading the team next time. They might be um, similar to Landon Donovan. They might be having to fight for a spot and potentially losing it. But if they they've signed Klinsman for many more years as manager, and uh, I would not bet against them going further in the next World Cup.
3: You just mentioned Bradley and uh, uh, the other fellow, I guess Clint Dempsey. Clint Dempsey, right? And uh, that was the talk. Is there the support coming up from the younger ranks in U.S. soccer to, to replace those guys? They replaced Donovan, which who I thought could still play. But uh, is there the support coming up for the U.S.?
4: It depends on how you evaluate the U.S. Um, in the past, we've evaluated um, North America based on how many players we're sending to Europe. Um, so that if if a player is good enough to play for Kansas city and yet gets sold to a team in England or Spain, that's a sign that the quality of the, of the player is high. I think in the recent months that has changed around in which there's a greater emphasis on keeping American talent at home, um, which is why Dempsey's return, why Bradley's return, why they're talking about bringing uh, other star American players who play in Europe back to america so it makes it harder to judge the, the the qualities of the players but i think the the mls quality is rising and they're competitive and um concacaf proved in this past world cup that there's some quality teams here
3: where do we go with canada on uh, our team here i'm uh I don't know what to think because they're ranked, I think, 110th or 111th in the world. That's not a great ranking. And where do we go with Canada's team? the
4: The manager of the of the Canadian men's team is is Spanish, uh, a, bit, a man by the name of Floro, and I think he's the first step in in having a bit of a future. Having um, uh, someone who isn 't so worried about short term results but is willing to build an, a national organization in which um, we look for the, the young players of, of quality um, if the MLS is going to have a, a positive influence on on the u s hopefully it 's going to have a positive influence on Canada as well with three professional teams now I tend to have an uh, a bias against montreal because i don't think the montreal team invests enough in canadian talent but toronto and vancouver both have a lot of good young players that that would be the the future of a canada world cup team
3: wouldn't it be nice to uh, be playing in the world cup as uh with canada in it it would be just tremendous for our country
4: I can vaguely remember 1986 when it, did, when it happened, and I back then thought it was going to be something that happened often. Who knew that it was going to be uh, once in a while?
3: But that happened, and, and I remember that. It, the North American Soccer League was in existence then, I, I believe, and, it, and, it, uh, and I think a lot of the talent came from there.
4: And the quality, though, of the of the soccer pitches and the stadiums that they were playing in, um, the knock against the North American Soccer League was that it expanded too soon, too quickly, into um, some very dubious um, locations. I can recall watching the Blizzard play a friendly against Nottingham Forest, I believe in 1980, on that horrible, slick, green exhibition stadium Um, yeah excuse for astroturf in which you might as well have just painted the parking lot green Uh, (laughs) it it would have worked the same way cement it was so it was was hard to develop talent that was going to play on an international stage when it seemed as if a quick buck was what most people were were looking for then
3: uh we're going to go to commercial break shortly but uh what the show is going to. What we're going to talk about in the next 40 minutes is uh, the British Open with Sean Clement and uh, the uh, tip of the day with Sean. We're giving away a gift pack to the Rogers Cup. I will announce when the lines will be open for that. It's a $250 uh, gift certificate that uh, gives you two seats to the Rogers Cup and a gift card from Pizzaville, $25 value. And then we'll be giving that away during the show. And we're going to discuss also the Toronto sports teams, and what's major league and what's minor league. It's going to be very, very interesting discussions between the two of us, I'm sure. Let's go to commercial break. Thanks.
5: It was a rainy day when Pizzaville became the official pizza of the Rogers Cup, presented by National Bank. We're giving away 25 pairs of tickets to the finals weekend between now and July 31st, plus four front row tickets to the final match. We're the official pizza because Pizzaville Pizza is like a hard serve. It's so good, you can't return it. Boom! Details at pizzaville.ca or 416 736 3636. There's an
6: old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigobon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabond Carly, the intelligent choice.
0: Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying
7: made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There are two
2: ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
3: Welcome back. It's Naz and Mark today. Wally is on vacation in Spain, and we'll be back next week. And uh, he'll be welcome with open arms. I'm sure he'll have some stories from his uh, trip And how they reacted to the World Cup. We're going to get into the Toronto sports franchises and Major League and Minor League and uh, the support they're getting. Um, I have six teams, Mark. The Toronto Maple Leafs. The Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto FC. Toronto Argonauts. And Toronto Rock. Those are the six teams. What do you consider... Major League and Minor League in those six franchises.
4: I guess I want you to tell me a little more about what your definition of Major League and Minor League is. Because my first thought was, oh, you didn't mention the Marlies. And the Marlies were clearly a Minor League team because they are a feeder team for another team. And that uh, if you play well on the Marlies, it is... It's we'll, we'll throw
3: the Marleys going. in as the seventh team. We can do that
4: because that helps my definition. That that if if you are a minor league team, and I've I've traveled down to to Buffalo to see the Bisons play, and you know that that's minor league because you know um, if a player is doing well for that team, that they're going to be uh, brought up to the major league team. But if I'm trying to figure out if, if we're going to debate about. Um, popularity in ticket sales, or in television ratings, or in water cooler talk. Um, To me, Major League means it inspires passion. Um, When when you talk about Major League, for some reason, I think about um, ABC Wide World of Sports, where they used to say they were spanning the globe to find the variety of sports. The the, um,
3: thrill of of victory...
4: And the agony of defeat. And if you care about a team and if you have any number of people who also care about that team, who experience the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, for me, that's close enough to Major League because because of the passion that that team inspires. Sometimes I'm concerned that the Blue Jays and the Leafs, the two teams that have the largest followings in Toronto based on ratings or based on uh, um, ticket sales, that they don't inspire so much passion as much as water cooler talk. People know what to say if you say, oh, the Jays lost yesterday or, oh, the Leafs aren't going to make the playoffs. You can have a, a, a casual discussion about a sports event, but there's no passion. Um, so to me, I consider Toronto FC to be major league because it inspires passion within me.
3: Here's where uh, I think that it's major league or minor league. When you have the best players playing at the highest level in in those sports. So I look at the Toronto Maple Leafs or in the NHL, that's the best league in sports when it comes to hockey. You have the Toronto Blue Jays, Major League Baseball. It's the best baseball league in the world. And you have the National Basketball Association, the Toronto Raptors, who are playing in the best league in the world. FC, entertainment aside, entertainment aside which I think they are entertaining, they're not the best league. They're probably third, fourth type league. Now, they play in a different season than a lot of the... Uh, different uh, leagues out there. But that's where I think they stand. My biggest, uh, the Toronto Rock has the best players playing in the league. but uh, They're not considered major league, but they could be because they have the best players playing that sport. What do you think of that?
4: The difficulty I have with that is um, if you are faced with being passionate about a team that is in a globally ranked um let's say major league soccer is the 14th best soccer league in the world
3: is um, that what they, what they are I, yeah I, just,
4: I don't think it's i just bad, picked but a number that's okay I, I was trying to avoid the top, <laughs> i was trying to avoid putting them in the top 10 because i think that that would uh that would inspire more um revolt on your part <laughs> let's say they're the 14th best soccer league in in the world What could you, as a Toronto FC fan, do? Um, Dig up Toronto and move it as an island to another location so that suddenly they're playing in in a better league? In the world of soccer, there are so many leagues. um, There are so many environments in which the game uh, flourishes. And here in Toronto, we, we capture a little bit of that by by bringing in a Brazilian player or, or having a, a European player come and play for us in which we've got that connection. Um, it's really been a, a matter of, um, of tradition that, that causes lacrosse and, and hockey um, and to some extent baseball, sort of the Ontario sports. Um, Canadian football, when we talk about the Argos, the The problem is that the best Canadian players get drawn away to to the U.S., um, both in college and and in NFL. So that would make it hard under your criteria to to call the Argos major league. That there might be seventy five percent of the best um, Canadian oh, I players.
3: So I, oh, Canadian players, yes. yeah, yeah. But I don't think, uh, the, the Argonauts is, the, is the, the team that I really want to discuss because it seems uh, like the Zoomer crowd, which we're in, right, still follow the Argos. And I have difficulty with the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, I would like them to be popular, but they're not. They've lost all the impact they had back in the 70s, the 60s, the 70s. And I remember Leo Cahill in 1977. And Mark, I remember you as an usher. With was the Blue Jays back then. And to point out, Cahill was uh, at Exhibition Stadium, and they had had a practice. And a couple of hours later, he stayed, and he watched the people come in to watch the Blue Jays. And Leo Cahill says, this is the day that the Argos start declining. We're not going to be able to compete with the Toronto Blue Jays. And I remember that statement back in the 77 78 and he he was right the argos have not been the same since then and what what do we do because i don't think the argos can survive in this market
4: i think what changed was the media landscape and i think that the argos used to be the the big show in town um I can remember, and you can look this up, the year that the Toronto Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup, 1967. They won the Stanley Cup on May 2nd. That's correct. May 2nd was the last day of hockey that year. And hockey disappeared off off the, the media landscape, off the water cooler talk, and the Argos had, had from then until the return of hockey season exclusive sports coverage, exclusive sports water talk, exclusive television, and baseball was the first thing to take that exclusive um, situation away from them. I think that the Argos basically used to have a a system in which they would sell tickets, and if they didn't sell enough tickets, then they would um, black out the television broadcast, which was like shooting yourself in the foot because over those years in which people stopped buying those tickets and didn't know or couldn't follow the team on television, television changed. Television suddenly became much more American in in, in Ontario and we were able to follow all kinds of both U.S. college teams and NFL teams and so... The fact that the Argos weren't on TV didn't have that exclusive media landscape, and I think they were slow to to see that happening.
3: Yeah, the blackout was 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 a re, uh, one of the reasons. But now, how do you get it back? Like, I look at the Argos, and I can name maybe three players off that team that that, that are there now, like Dury, Chad Owens, Ricky Ray's the quarterback. I can't name the other players. You know, and back in our day, right, you could go Jim Stillwagon, Jim Corrigal, Harry A. Boss, Leon McQuay, Joe Theismann, on and on and on and on and on. How do they get back to that? Because I can name all the Blue Jays right now. I can name all the Leafs right now. Those are the two, and the Raptors. But I have great difficulty in the other sports. And why is that? Is it because they're promoting this? There's more media coverage with these three teams? Or, or what is it?
4: I think part of it is media coverage and media promotion. I think part of it is, as I said, water cooler talk. If, if you did go to an Argo game and then went to work the next day and said, oh, wow, did you see Chad Owens' touchdown the other night? People are going to look at you and say, Who? So once you've lost the media landscape, it's hard to bring it back. Uh, (laughs) The best Canadian football game, and hey, I'm a soccer guy, Naz. I'm Uh, a soccer guy.
3: You're a soccer guy, but you're pretty well-versed. You're better than you think you are. The best
4: Canadian football game I've seen in recent years was two years ago, a playoff game between the University of Guelph Griffins and the Queen's Golden Gales. And it was in Guelph. It was a remarkable comeback from, from the Griffins that it was a playoff game and it pushed it to overtime and the Griffins won it in overtime. I think the future of football and the hope of the Argos is to tap into a regional look at, at football. There are pockets of football, just as it's happened in in Quebec. I've, I, you know, Bishops and Laval and Sherbrooke. There are good university Canadian football teams in Quebec. If Ontario, if the Argos can capture part of that and support that, I think that um, there's going to be a future for football, but it's got to be a little more grassroots. It's got to be a little more local. We, we have something with the Hamilton-Toronto rivalry. Why don't we have uh, a Toronto-Oshawa rivalry or a Toronto-Guelph rivalry or a London-Kitchener rivalry? Um, at the university level, they have that in Quebec. We need to, to bring that back.
3: I personally don't think the Argos are going to survive. I think they're going to go down the tubes shortly uh, within the next two or three years. Rogers tried to buy them and they couldn't make a deal. I just don't I just don't think the CFL in Toronto fits. Uh the NFL may not fit too. Okay? Uh because Los Angeles, which is the biggest market TV market, one of the biggest, I'd say New York or LA. They don't have an NFL team. So if they don't have an NFL team, we probably won't have a CFL team. Like I mean we just look at look at the different situations, right?
4: I do spend some time in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has the potential for three stadiums. Um, two of them have good potential. One of them is a bit of a long shot in, the, in a place called the City of Industry. Um, but they are so close to, A, having the money, B, having um, the, the facilities, and the American television networks, which really operate the NFL, um, can't wait to get a Los Angeles team. Um, I'm afraid a Toronto team doesn't even show up on the radar. If you're an American television network, you want your American markets to have have local teams. So, um, yeah, I think LA's got it. Back to the Argos for a second. I wonder if if they went regional instead of one downtown franchise, I think so much of the growth in the greater Toronto area has been out to the suburbs and the Argos have been somewhat left behind Their Their fans might not be um, close to the dome every day. Um, perhaps if the Argos were split into um, um, Cambridge blue and Oxford blue, it's too smaller, like a Mississauga team and a, and an Oshawa team, maybe there's a future there.
3: You're at uh, BMO, BMO Field quite a bit with the FC. What do you think of the Argos playing at BMO? I,
4: I've, I've seen the proposal.
3: Um,
4: the difficulty is, um, is money. The Argos, it appears, now I, I'm not a financial analyst, but it appears that the Argos lose money and that the owner wants to sell and they are um, therefore not in a position to invest in a new stadium or to invest in the changes at BMO to make it a, a dual-purpose stadium. And if they don't have the money to invest, the, I believe that there are clauses that Toronto FC have in their agreement that says if a Canadian football team is coming here and needs changes made, they are the ones that need to be be paying for it so
3: that's where rogers comes in to buy the team they're the only ones who could do that the way that sounds to me it sounds like rogers is the only uh team uh owner that could purchase that team and and go into bemo of course
4: and you wonder if they if they truly want to do that if if there's an investment in a franchise that they want to make um
3: you know why what, what what would be their motivation Probably television. That's probably the only uh, motivation, or radio. Uh, but they do have a lot of programming over there, so I'm not sure where the uh, motivation at the end becomes, or, uh, or I think it's, it has to do with TV. Really,
4: I do get confused between Rogers and Bell sometimes when I start figuring out on the on the. Bell's TSN,
3: Rogers is uh, Sportsnet,
4: and TSN has more CFL, yep. than than uh, than than the other. So. It seems as if it's a bit of cross-purposes. If, 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 if the television network that, that um, wants the Argos to succeed is not the television network or financial entity that's buying the franchise, um, it seems as if the television side makes money and the franchise side doesn't. So that's an odd situation.
3: So where do you think the Argos are, major league or minor league, after our discussion? I still think they're minor league, and that's the problem. The city does not uh, support the Argos. They had 16,100 fans to their opener. Can you imagine?
4: They've, they've fallen off the media landscape. People don't know which day of the week they play. They don't know who the opposition is. Um, it's it, It's been a tough sell for years. I also feel that um, that... Their facility is not football friendly. That there, there's too many sections um, where they put up a tarp because they know they can't sell um, that particular area. When you've gone down to um, to Ralph Wilson Stadium and seen, uh, you know, the craziness, which is a Bills game, and and and. A stadium that is solely football, and, and one of
3: the worst stadiums. I was there for the opener against New England last year. New England and Buffalo was a terrific football game. I'm a Bills fan, by the way, as you probably, as everybody probably knows. But it was a, that is a brutal stadium. But they pack them in. They have the tailgate parties. They start. They drinks. They start drinking at nine thirty in the morning, and they don't stop until after the game. They even tailgate after the game. It's an absolutely amazing. Uh, situation there in the in the parking lots i can 't see that happening here i just can 't that 's a
4: whole other argument too about um, our um, our attitude to um, um, consumption of liquids in public spaces. The um, Ralph Wilson Stadium, though, has been undergoing renovations this summer. There, there's been some money oh, spent. Oh, they
3: need a lot of work, let <laughs> me tell you. They,
4: it, the improving uh, snack bars, improving access areas, I think some new um, sort of luxury box areas. Um, Ralph Wilson Stadium is going to be their stadium at least for the foreseeable future. So they've made a small investment in it.
3: It's time to give away the Rogers. Rogers, we say it again. Rogers Cup Prize. Package courtesy of Pizzaville. Two premium series bronze seats to a session during the Rogers Cup Tournament at the Rexall Center at York University. One complimentary reserve parking pass and a $25 Pizzaville gift certificate. Tenth caller, 416-360-0740, 1866-740-4740. I'll repeat, 416 416- 360 360 0740 and 1866 740 4740. We're gonna to go to commercial break. We're gonna come back with Sean Clement and the British Open and we'll have our prize winner
5: and see you in a bit. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville sponsored the Rogers Cup presented by National Bank. We're giving away 25 pairs of tickets to the finals weekend between now and July 31st. Plus one lucky winner will be courtside for the final match with four front row tickets. My half-brother Raul won't go. He's been to court too many times already. Details at pizzaville.ca or 416 736 3636.
2: Bridge.
0: At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler
7: for Alt Infinity and Vaughan. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Infinity the captain's choice. Woodbridge.com at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it
6: reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigobon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabond Carly, the intelligent
1: choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests.
2: You name it, they'll argue about it. No sport left unturned. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio, the new AM 740.
3: Welcome back. Uh, we do have a winner in the contest. We'll announce that by the end of the show. Thanks for everybody calling in. We have Sean Clements. Sean, are you there? Yes. Yeah, hi, guys. Hey, Sean. How are you today?
1: Uh, awesome. It's a great, great morning to watch the British Open. Yeah, speaking
3: of the British Open, you want to get into your tip first or the British Open?
1: Oh, it doesn't matter to me. Um,
3: Let's we, go with the tip first. Sure. What's your tip of the day?
1: Well, the tip of the day, uh, as, you, as you watch the British Open, you're going to notice that uh, most of the guys out there are swinging well below strain level. One of the things that, uh, that really hinders performance when you're playing is when you strain too much, and people just are not aware of how hard they're actually swinging. Uh, let me run a couple of numbers by you. On a strain level of 1 to 10, tending the most strain you can exert, which is rib-popping strain, uh, you should not exert more than 3 out of 10 for strain to achieve a level of velocity or speed in the swing of 6 or 7. So you want to feel that you're, uh, that you're swinging at a pace that you, you get a really nice velocity out of it, but you're exerting very little strain to achieve it. So after you execute your shot, um, we, we have uh, an acronym that we use at the academy. It's called RIBS. R as for rhythm, I for impact, B for balance, and S for strain level. So we, after each shot, we have our student run the strain level and then they quickly realize, oh my gosh, I am swinging out of my shoes and and that is a as a uh, you know a big hindrance on the consistency that you use in your in your in your golf swing that you achieve in your golf swing.
3: Let me ask you about Tiger Woods' swing because he, uh, when he came in, it looked like uh, he was uh, swinging hard when he when he swings the club. Is yes. that true?
1: Well, I mean, you know, Tiger's had five different swing coaches and has had five different swing philosophies, so it, it's kind of hard to measure what's going on with Tiger. Um, but uh, I can tell you that he he really swung with a nice level of assertiveness. So right now, if you look at Rory's swing, I was looking at him this morning, and and, uh, he's firing on all cylinders. And, you know, for the majority of players, that's a dangerous situation to be in because what happens is, you know, you hit five, six amazing golf shots in a row, and what's going to happen? As a human being on this planet, you always want more. You're pushing for more. So as you start pushing for more, you start redlining, redlining the engine, and all of a sudden, whoop! You blow a gasket, and it's gone. Uh, the guys who are more seasoned tend to want to ride that wave for as long as they can. And right now, Rory's on a beautiful wave, and he's, he's swinging with a very nice uh, assertiveness. And that's a big difference between. There's a big difference between assertiveness and strain and
3: force. His physical fitness level is, uh, seems to me he's uh, a little more muscular now. Oh, uh, he, he, really,
1: he re- absolutely is. Uh, the, the fitness level uh, really pays off big time when it comes to you know, a, a good performance in the swing. When the swing goes well and, and your, your, your flexibility and your muscles are firing properly and there's no, there's no chink in the, we call it the kinetic chain, because you ask a boxer where he finds his power and he'll say from the ground up. So you'll notice that Rory has this beautiful squat, and it goes up through the legs, through the core, through the shoulders, arms, through the hands, and into that club. And if there's one little part of that aspect of his body that, that misfires, then, then that's where you know, he'll, have a, he'll have a lot of trouble.
3: So where can we see that uh, tip on uh, your website?
1: Um, so as, as far as the strain level yes. is concerned, um, there's there's um, a focus. There's a mental baseball game for golf. So for all you fans of baseball, um, have a look at mental baseball game for golf, Sean Clement, and it'll take you through the focus sequence and the ribs uh, uh, observation so that you know how to observe each one of your golf shots.
3: Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I, when I swing the club, there's a lot of strain there for sure.
1: <laughs> That's it. You know, most people, when they, look, they start looking down at the ball and they're getting ready to fire, they're, they're trying to hit the ball hard because they feel they're not getting everything out of their swing that they can. And, and when you're looking down at the ball and thinking that, right away the tension builds up in your body. Whereas if I were to tell you, okay, if you take your golf club and you want to throw your club literally down the fairway, so there is a, a video of mine entitled Throwing the Club, Sean Clement, I would I would uh, advise you to have a look at that, and pretend you're throwing your club down the range as far as you can, but with as little strain as possible. So it's like a, a uh, an outfielder, you know, throwing a ball to second base uh, in a warm up routine, so he can get nice velocity on his pitch on his throw, but he's not exerting any any amount of strain which
3: would cause him injury. So you're saying you can throw your clubs here, or Sean. Absolutely. Oh you're, man, I been I used to do that in my younger days and I don't I don't do that anymore, <laughs> but boy I would satisfying. like to do it again.
1: That's it. There's nothing more satisfying than tomahawking your golf club properly.
3: <laughs> Let's talk about the British Open a bit. Sure. Uh the two majors, the Masters and the US Open players went wire to wire in both tournaments. It looks right. like it's going to happen again. Do you think that's the case?
1: Well, I mean, obviously the chances are very high for that because he's been in that position before. Uh, he's very, very comfortable in that position. Um, so it can go one of two ways. It could be a sleeper. He'll play a nice round of golf. We'll watch Rory play a solo round and, uh, and enjoy his win, which is extremely well-deserved. Uh, or we can have a couple of guys go really hot, catch up to him, make up the deficit, and then have a four or five hole stretch where it's nail biting, and then and then Rory takes it uh, at the end, which which you know I I would say those are one of the two scenarios.
4: Hi, it's it's Mark talking for a second here. Hey, Mark. Um, I know that everyone's on the course now. Uh, Rory and and Fowler are um, I think on the first hole. Yeah. My pick for someone who might get close to Rory is Adam Scott. Um, do you have a, a
1: different pick? Um. It, it's uh, you know. It's it's. Uh, I don't think Adams gonna is gonna pull that off. Um, I, I guess I'm I'm talking
4: about who's gonna come in second or who's gonna come in third if Rory plays his game and and, and oh, runs okay. away with if, it.
1: So who's playing for second place? Exactly. Well, Adams a good pick. Um, you know, it's he, just uh, he, he's um, Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to putting on on the greens. Uh, the, the changing conditions. Uh, it it could go either way. Um, I know Ricky Fowler can 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 get very streaky. So if he has a good round, I remember you know Mike Weir was one who uh, who was amazing, and all the wins that he's had were, were from behind. And uh, some players are extremely comfortable in that underdog position, and uh, they end up firing on all cylinders when there's no pressure and and, and they're going for it. Uh, so um, I think Ricky Fowler is one of those guys.
3: The dieting of players, we talked about that the last couple of weeks, and you mentioned our sponsor, Pizzaville, having the best uh, gluten-free pizza around. Yes. Um, how many of these guys are on the specific diet? Was it the grain diet, or is that what it's called? What is it called, John?
1: Well, the, 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 the book is called Grain Brain. Uh, the, the paleo diet is, uh, is one diet that's really uh, uh, picking up a lot of steam. Uh, and for for good reasons, i mean i' that i've been I've been on that for the last four months, and I went from two thirty five to below one ninety five Wow um so I, I am I am now comfortable in my size thirty four pants i'm I'm feeling really good. I'm sleeping well. Um, you know there's a there's a lot of um a lot of other things that I've noticed that uh, that are have really improved uh, my my resting heart rate went from eighty five beats per minute down to sixty. Uh, so it's like there's so much less strain on my body right now. Yeah,
3: we'll and we'll have to talk uh, off air about uh, that diet because I guess a lot of people are out there listening and going, hmm, maybe I should try that.
1: A- absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's very, very much worth the read. It's uh, probably one of the most important books I've ever read. And, um, and, it's, and it's, you know, there, there are a couple of other guys out there like Mark, Mark Sison, who's from California. He's a, uh, an ex marathon triathlete. And uh, he used to be the guy that carbs up before, and and having these these massive you know five thousand calorie meals uh, or, or 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 eating <laughs> eating fiends, uh during the day, and, and he noticed that it was really wreaking havoc with a lot of inflammation on his body, and that prevented him from from performing. And uh, they, they you know they're they're finding that, um, that too many carbs in the system is is, is not a good thing.
3: It's been an interesting British Open. There hasn't been a bad weather day in any of the four days, and that's very rare.
1: Extremely, yeah. <laughs> we, they're having better weather than we are.
3: Yeah, it's it's amazing because in the past, I remember one uh, one year, I think it was 1999 or something like that, and Tiger Woods played in the afternoon, and it was like 90-mile-an-hour winds. It wasn't 90, but it was pretty bad with rain, and he shot like 82 Exactly. And I didn't see that in any of the uh, f- uh, three days. I haven't watched this morning, but any of the three days. And I'm told that the f- today is, the weather conditions are really good.
1: Yeah, they, they are, actually. Uh, you could see the flags were barely, barely uh, uh, f- uh, fl- flagging around or flopping around. There was, uh, you know, little lulls in the wind. And uh, so, you know, as the day goes on, I'm sure the wind will start picking up. But uh, nowhere near, uh, you know, the conditions that it can be.
3: Sean? Great talking to you. Nice what a what a great guys. morning. A lot of insight. Thanks very much.
1: Have an awesome Sunday you guys.
3: Okay. All right. Bye-bye. do you think of that diet, uh, Mark? It's probably something I'm going to look at when I get home today.
4: I'm I'm tempted. I'm tempted to look <laughs> at it. We're we're going to we're going to have to compare notes off air
3: too. <laughs> for sure. Uh, an announcement for Wally, and Wally's asked me to do this. Uh, he's a lawyer by trade and uh the Hickory Golf Tournament at Innisbrick Golf Course in Barrie is on Thursday, July 24th. Some 50 members of the Golf Historical Society of Canada from across the province will be playing with early 20th century Hickory Clubs. Can you imagine that, Mark? Hickory Clubs. That would be fascinating. And dressed in period attire. <laughs> I got I to see pictures of this. A display of early golf memorabilia may be viewed, and an auction of early golfing items will take place. For more information, visit the Golf Historical Society website. Have a good time on the 24th, everybody. Getting back to recapping the show a bit, we're going to go over the last five minutes. Did you want to talk about uh, the Toronto FC and the future of their playoff chances, and uh, what's
4: going on? They're they're looking good. They're they're in third place, and the top five teams in the Eastern Division qualify for the playoffs. They tied last night in Houston, um, a, a draw that should perhaps have been a, a victory. Houston, oh yeah,
3: I just thought Houston was terrible last night.
4: There was um, Jermaine Defoe wasn't used until maybe the last twenty five minutes in, in in the game, and at that point. It seemed odd that they were using him because they were also kind of going into a defensive shell. But I think the playoff possibilities are good. Um, There are a lot of games still to go, though. They're roughly at the halfway mark. Um, The season will take you to the end of October. And um, Toronto has never experienced playoff soccer yet. But MLS playoffs take place in November. So it will be... It will be a very chilly prospect being at BMO Field in our in our ski wear.
3: It was snowing in November last year, quite a bit. Yeah. It
4: it it will it'll be a whole different um, ball game. Um, the fear is that this is a team perhaps built for the summer months, the hot months. We have a, a few Brazilian players who um, I'm not going to count on in November. <laughs>
3: Blue Jays, just a bit of discussion on the Blue Jays. They're four games out of the American League East. Uh, Anybody that wanted to to trade their two young pitchers to upgrade their pitching, their two young pitchers are phenomenal. Stroman pitched an absolute terrific game. Please do not give up on these young players because you start doing stuff like that, you'll be down in the basement for the next 10 years. And uh, they have a couple of keepers in Hutchison and uh, Stroman For sure. And I'm looking for them because they have a weaker schedule now. In the next 10, 12 games, they play some bottom-end teams. So this is the time the Blue Jays have to go forward and start cutting the four-game lead down to maybe two or one and have their players come back because the thing that's been the problem with that team is the hitting. They're just not getting enough hitting.
4: I'll be there on Thursday. One of my favorite things to do with the Blue Jays is to look at their schedule and look at those... um, games before a travel day in which they have to play uh, a weekday game in the afternoon. And that's the case this Thursday. I think the game starts at noon or shortly after, and they're playing the Boston Red Sox. And uh, it used to be that if you could find your way um, to the stadium on one of those days, it's almost like you had the place to yourself. But that's not the case anymore. Uh, I think everyone's cottoned on to uh, the the prospect of midweek afternoon Kind of Chicago Cubs kind of style what baseball. What they
3: what they do, and this used to be uh, the Toronto Lynx, the soccer team before FC. I knew, I know the owner very, the former owner very well, and watched a lot of their games. So I have, I do have kind of a surprising soccer background here. Uh, they came up with a uh, camp day. And there's a lot of camps that go on in the metropolitan Toronto area, and the kids get to buy it at a discount rate and there's busloads and busloads of kids that go and watch the, these games and uh you, you usually see big crowds because of that it was a great idea it was i think developed by a guy in rochester uh when the rochester team had a uh, team in the usl i think they might still have that team but uh it was see. it was it was quite interesting to see all these kids
4: i think that's the rochester raging rhinos that's right
3: so they, we go back. I go back to the USL a bit. So I do know a bit about soccer, but not not uh, not as much as you do, I'm sure. The rhinos still exist. They still exist. Yes. And so we're going to promote the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays. I I picked them to win the AL East. Don't give up, folks, because they're going to win the AL East. The prize winner for the pizza package for for uh, two tickets to the Rogers Cup. The winner is Elaine Small from Thornhill, 298 the, the Orchard Boulevard in Richmond Hill. Won the uh, gift prize, and thanks very much for uh, calling in. It was a terrific show, Mark. I agree, Naz. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I always do. Thanks very much, and uh, see you next week. The Naz and Wally Sports
1: Hour
0: is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests.